And welcome to Full Spectrum Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, and joining me is my co-host, Dylan, as always. So thank you guys for tuning in again. <clears throat> Never eat McDonald's right before you do a podcast. It messes yeah. with your, your vocal cords and your, the back of your throat. I went to Taco Bell before and um, got up there and they said that they're not taking orders, which... I mean, I've worked, I've worked food service. I thought that was like the main reason of having a restaurant was taking orders, but apparently not. Things that are paranormal to paranormal investigators, and our lunch mishap is one of them. That was pretty high on the list. That was pretty high on the list, indeed. Today, for episode three, we're going to be coming at you with black-eyed children and vampires. Two subjects you don't often hear talked about together, if at all. This is, uh, I mean, vampires, you know, that's that's one thing. Everybody knows about vampires. Um, black-eyed children, this one honestly has creeped me out for a number of years. This is one of the creepier urban legends and stories that has made its way through the internet and through the paranormal community in recent years. Right. And it's hard to tell. Um, I was listening to a podcast not too long ago, and I won't name this one because I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to trash on their episode no just kidding um they were talking about the russian sleep experiment and they were like really kind of getting into it and uh, from everything that i understand the russian sleep experiment originated as a creepypasta um, i've never seen anything to indicate that it's not a creepypasta so this is kind of one of those things um while doing some very basic preliminary research for the podcast um, basically, I just Googled black-eyed children, and I came up with some YouTube videos, so I haven't gone through those yet to see if there's anything, like any sort of actual like video documentation on these. So unfortunately, with black-eyed children, this is one of those things where it's really hard to, uh, to, it's hard to know whether you're dealing with something that's actually happening, or you're dealing with something like the Russian sleep experiment that started on 4chan or started on reddit or any of you know any of that just the again urban legend stuff that's the sad thing about the internet nowadays is one you can get a lot of really useful information about things but then you also get a lot of made-up stories now in these urban legends that are new because of the internet they weren't really around back in the 1800s the 1900s and the black-eyed children are one of those that's not something that there's very much historical documentation on. Vampires, though, those that can be traced back millennia. There's lots of different historical societies and groups and countries that have vampires or vampire-like creatures in their history and in their legends as well. But talking about the Russian sleep experiment... Didn't we have the Stanford Prison Experiment, which was similar to that? Wasn't that what the Russian sleep experiment was based off of? Possibly. I haven't watched the Stanford Prison Experiment. Um, I've seen it. I think it's in my YouTube list. Um, one of those things that's perpetually in your list that you never end up watching. We'll have to look into that and maybe make that a future topic. 
Absolutely. But diving into the black-eyed children, in our research, tales have existed since about the 1980s of kids with black eyes. Um, there's some sources that say even back to the 1950s. I wasn't able to track down any of those stories myself. This is just through my research. I've heard that I've read that people have heard tales from those times. But most sources indicate that the legend originated in 1996 from a posting written by Texas reporter Brian Bethel in Abilene, Texas. And the posting goes, Brian had stopped at a gas station and was approached by two kids who had black eyes. Washington, D.C. is calling me right now. And they just stopped calling me. Hello, goodbye, President Trump. That's uh, that's interesting. Are we talking about something the government doesn't want us to talk about? That's interesting that it happens after we talked about the Stanford prison experiment. DC's calling. They're listening. We aren't even live. We aren't even broadcasting live. And they're listening to us, apparently. Well, we have a smart TV, three cell phones in the room. You know they're always listening. Big Brother's watching. Oh, yeah. Tracking us through our television. So while tales have existed since the 1980s or even the 1950s, most sources indicate that the legend originated in 1996 from a posting written by Texas reporter Brian Bethel in Abilene, Texas. He says he was parked in his car in front of a movie theater in the evening making a checkout to drop off with his internet service provider when two young boys approached his car asking him to take them home to get money to see the Mortal Kombat movie that was in theaters. He says, and I quote, I was immediately gripped by an incomprehensible, soul-wracking fear. I had no idea why. And he says he cracked his window, learned they wanted to ride home to get the money for the movie. And the spokesperson at the movie said, they're just two little boys that wouldn't take too long, but the movie had already started by the time they came up asking him to take them home. So driving anywhere at that time would have meant that the boys were going to miss most of the movie anyway. So he thought that was a little bit interesting, but even during this talking with the spokesperson and in the time that had elapsed since he first got asked by them to take, uh, for him to take them home, he said that his fear kept growing and growing. And then he says he looked back and he said his mind exploded in a vortex of all-consuming terror because both boys stared at him with coal-black eyes, soulless orbs like two great swaths of starless night. That is the first original report that we really have on black-eyed children and since that report was released brian's been interviewed by different groups different organizations and he keeps claiming that everything was true that it wasn't a fabricated story and this has led to the internet running away and having a heyday with this and originating some of the creepy stories that we now have about black-eyed children and another interesting thing about brian's report though as another witness came forward saying, also in 1996, up in Oregon, that they had an encounter with children that had black eyes and that they were terrified of them as well. And those children are asking them to take them home. I'm not sure for what, but two completely unrelated encounters with black-eyed children, both in 1996. But if these have been around for a while, where are they? Where did they come from? Why do we not have any other information on these except for 1996 and current. Right, absolutely. And it's interesting, there's a few common threads um, with pretty much all of the black-eyed kids' sightings. So for one, at least 
for a good while after the original reports, um, everything was always at night and in a storm. Another common thread is a sense of fear and of terror and not knowing why. Everybody talks about in the reports that I've seen that they were terrified, but they had no idea why, and they knew there was no reason to be terrified, but they were terrified nonetheless. Because it's just two kids, but the most common thread, which is how they get their name, is the fact that they have black eyes that are like a starless night sky, just pitch black, and they're always wanting to go home. Right. And they have to ask permission first, and you have to let them in. They can't just come inside. Um, if they show up at your home and knock on the door saying, can we come in? You have to let them in. You, they can't just come in on their own. Yeah. And most people, because of this overwhelming sense of dread, most people have just turned them away. But there are also reports of people who have let them into their home, um, possibly into their vehicles, whatever the case may be. And they talk about as soon as the black-eyed children leave, they have horrible headaches, they have uh, stomach pains, nausea, that kind of stuff. Just really bad things happening to them after the kids leave. Right. I was, like in my research, I read two different stories. But what's interesting about these two different stories is that they were basically the same story with just names and a couple little things changed around. But the story goes that there was this couple living kind of on the outskirts of a town and these kids came up to the their house and knocked on the door and the lady opened it up the door and there are these two kids standing there and they weren't looking at the lady the lady couldn't see their faces but they said may we come in we need to go home the lady was fearful at first but finally was like okay they're just two kids yes you can come in and the kids kept saying okay well our parents will be here soon we'll be going home soon and Next thing she knows, she looks at her husband who's covering his face, and she looks back at the kids, and she is gripped in fear because they have pitch black eyes. And she and her husband go into the next room, and she asks her her husband, did you see the eyes? And he goes, yes. And he pulls his hands away, and he has a nosebleed. Right. And they had four cats at the time, according to this story. And all their cats, three of their cats were missing, and the th- fourth one was not happy with the kids. was really angry with them, hissing, growling at the kids. And the kids were just kind of staying in the living room. But then one of them just kind of came walking over and goes, can I use the bathroom? And so the lady's like, okay, sure, go ahead, trying to avoid them and stay away from them. She said that for them being so young, they were way too comfortable being in a stranger's house. And then finally, the kids stood up and said, our parents are here. And they went to the door and opened the door and there was two tall figures standing at the end of the driveway. And the lady said she waved at them, but the figures didn't wave back, and the kids walked off down the driveway. And that was that. But wow. over the next couple weeks, mysterious things kept happening, like you were saying. They got sick. Her husband's nosebleeds kept happening. Three of the cats were just missing. They could not find them. The fourth one they found dead. And uh, like I said, I read two different stories that were basically exactly what I just summed up for you. Right. Which shows you that the internet's had a heyday with this, and are these real or are they not? Oh, yeah. And that's, as we're doing the podcast, I've been reading through uh, some other reports of encounters with these black-eyed children. And everything that I'm seeing so far talks about, like, oh, the black-eyed children came and we had a dog and the dog was going crazy barking at them. Um, So everything 
there's always an animal involved and the animals are always distrusting and disliking of the black-eyed children and they talk about kind of the same thing that you said with being so young but like too comfortable seemingly in a stranger's house they kind of talk about the same thing um, like they're kind of mature acting and they don't really seem to have too much of an emotional response to anything that's going on they're just kind of there doing whatever they're there to do right they're monotone they're accentless they're very bland is the feeling that i get from all of these Mm -hmm. and most all the information online is just stories there's like you have the youtube videos but i've watched a couple of those and it's just kind of people talking about the black eyed children like what we're doing now with the podcast i haven't actually seen any legitimate footage or evidence of them actually existing sure and unfortunately it's all too easy to throw a pair of contacts on and uh have black eyes not for me i can't wear contacts like oh, that no. but no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you can touch your eyes it's it's easy for you to fake <laughs> and like i was saying most of what i'm finding online are just stories there's not really any legitimate documentation or evidence of these black-eyed children like you find with like the loch ness monster with bigfoot with ghost aliens that have a lot more solid evidence backing them up and this just started this phenomenon just started in the 1990s too right 20 25 years ago is when this all kind of um seemed to begin and they're described as being two young kids um some stories have two boys some have two girls sometimes it's a boy and a girl together usually around the age of 10 give or take a couple years right who are asking to go home or if they can come in your home because they're waiting to go home and you have to give them permission to be able to do whatever it is that they're wanting to do. Yeah, and that's been a thing in some of the reports that I've read and heard about uh, where the children will actually say, oh, you have to you have to allow us yep. in. I read that too in a couple of those stories where the person was unsure about letting them in and the, the kid said, well, you have to say we can come in. You have to allow us in, meaning that they aren't able to just enter the house, enter the car, or enter your life, more or less. And that ties in with two other paranormal entities that are pretty well known. Because there's two other creatures out there that require you to give them permission before they can come in. Right. And what are those two? Those would be demons and vampires. Oh. And while we're not going to go too deep into demons, with the demons, a demon can't just come into your life, can't just possess you. Um, Sure, it can come into your house, it can come into the area you're at, but it can't affect you unless you give it permission to first. And unlike the black-eyed children and unlike vampires where you have to, where you give direct permission to it, face-to-face basically, a demon, if you even just think it in your head, oh, I'm okay with the spirit using my energy, or oh, you think it in your head, I'm opening myself up to spirits using my energy, that is enough of an invitation for a demon to come in and possess you and mess with you. But you can't just think you can come in and a vampire comes in or the black-eyed children come in. You have to directly say you can come in or come on in to those, to the black-eyed children and the uh, the vampires. Yeah, vampires and black-eyed children are 100% consent-based. Uh, demons are a little bit more sketchy, and they use circumstantial con- consent, which uh, doesn't sound very cool to me. 
Nope, but we're not going to go any further into demons. That's going to be for a later episode. We have some cool ideas for that episode, so you'll definitely want to check that out when we release that. But the similarity between black-eyed children and vampires doesn't just end with the fact that they require direct consent. Black-eyed children are said to have black eyes and to be pale, where other creatures are said to have dark eyes and be pale. Vampires, where other creatures are said to cause a person to seem to just have an overwhelming sense of fear for no apparent reason. Vampires. I'm wondering if that's going to be vampires again. <laughs> and in all our research into the paranormal, and reading stories, listening to the podcast, watching documentaries, and talking to people, we've never actually seen anybody talk about the correlations between black-eyed children and vampires. Could the black-eyed children legend stem from vampires, from the historic vampire-type stories that people hear all the time? Or could those two, if they are real entities, could they be similar? Because a lot of people who think that black-eyed children are more than just an urban legend, that they are real, even though they don't know exactly what they are, because they're not human. Right. Or if they are, people think that they might be have returned from the dead type humans. But they're also considered to be like demonic in nature. And vampires are that way too. Sure. Vampires are considered to be... Because vampires are said to be revenants, which are human corpses that have returned from the grave to harm humans. Or older versions of vampires were not thought to be human at all, but were rather supernatural, possibly demonic entities that did not take on human form. And that sounds very similar to black-eyed children as well. Absolutely. So there's a lot of similarities here, and unfortunately not much information on the black-eyed children. But moving on to vampires, you have a ton of history on vampires. There is a lot out there. And vampires have become mainstream you will find them, I guarantee it, on October 31st of every year if you go to a Halloween party. Oh, yeah. Quite a few of them. Black-eyed children, though. Maybe we should start that. Well, no, we won't because we just mentioned that neither one of us like to touch our eyes. Right. <laughs> and we're also, um, well, we're not children, so makes it a little bit more difficult. No, but if these black-eyed children that were seen in 1996 grow and age, then that would make them black-eyed adults now. Yes, it would. There have been some stories of black-eyed adults, too. Right. But that's even less and even more sketchy than what we know about black-eyed children. Yeah. I think that's just straight-up vampires right there. Exactly. Maybe black-eyed children grew up to be vampires. Yeah. The children of vampires. But vampires, you can't, you can't mention vampire without somebody thinking of a pale figure with red or black eyes and a long black coat with pointy teeth getting ready to suck somebody's blood. And hopefully not sparkles, but... And hopefully it doesn't sparkle. Yeah. <laughs> but these have become pretty mainstream, and you see them all the time in movies. Hence, Twilight, unfortunately, gave off a very poor rendition of vampires. Not even historically yes. accurate in any bit, in any sense of the term. If I were a vampire, I would be embarrassed. I would too. I'm embarrassed, I'm not a vampire. I'm disappointed for vampires. <laughs> but the most famous vampire, of course, is Bram Stoker's Dracula, made famous by the Hollywood film Dracula. And if you're catching on to anything here listening to our podcast, if you listen to our second episode on Ouija boards and talking boards, Hollywood 
and pop culture have a major influence on how people perceive and see paranormal creatures and paranormal type phenomena and objects. Yes, indeed, they do. vampires have not escaped that either. And guess what? A few years ago, there was also a black-eyed children movie. So if you can find it in paranormal lore, you'll find it in Hollywood. But thankfully for vampires, they didn't have quite the cultural 180 happen to them when Hollywood released Dracula. That Ouija boards did, when overnight they went from being everyday household items that were encouraged to be used to being tools of the devil that will possess you if you even think about owning one. Right. Fortunately for vampires, vampires are still perceived pretty much the same way they've been for centuries. Bram Stoker's Dracula was based off of Romanian Prince Vlad Tepes, who was alive from 1431 to 1476. Also known as Vlad the Impaler. And he got that name because he would impale his enemies on large spikes just outside his castle to show his dominance and to deter people from rising up against him. Fun fact about Vlad Tepes, even when he was in prison, he would still get uh, little wooden spikes and he would impale spiders and rats and such and put them on display for the guards to see. Very interesting. Crazy guy. The characterization of Tepes as a vampire, however, is distinctly a Western one. And that comes from Bela Lugosi's portrayal of Dracula in the movie Dracula. In Romania, he is viewed not as a blood-drinking sadist, but as a natural, national hero who defended his empire from the Ottoman Turks. So it's very interesting how, over the years, somebody's perception of a historical figure can change so drastically. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And vampires have been around for centuries. Um, Matthew Beresford, author of From Demons to Dracula, The Creation of the Modern Vampire Myth, states, There are clear foundations for vampire in ancient I just need to stop trying to read quotes right. on the podcast, because I have no luck with that. But he states, There are clear foundations for the vampire in the ancient world, though it is impossible to prove when the myth first arose. There are suggestions that the vampire was born out of sorcery in ancient Egypt, a demon summoned into this world from some other. So there we have it. a link between vampires and demons. Were vampires first thought of because some ancient Egyptian sorcerer summoned a demonic entity into the world that took on what we now would consider a vampirical form? Or was it just a story that they came up with to scare kids back then like we do now? And there are many variations of vampires from around the world too, not just from Romania, which is where vampires etc. have originated from, even though we know that Vlad the Impaler wasn't a vampire, he was a national hero. But if you look in Asia, for example, there are Asian vampires such as the Chinese Chongxi, which are evil spirits that attack people and drain their life energy. And then you can look at the blood-drinking wraithful deities that appear in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And then there are many other type entities and creatures out there too from the ancient world that have vampirical type characteristics. And tying into Colorado, which is our home state, if you guys haven't figured that out <laughs> or haven't listened to our other podcasts yet, we actually have what is known as the Colorado Vampire Grave in the Lafayette Municipal Cemetery. And we've investigated that a couple times, and there's lots of legends, local legends, surrounding that grave. Oh, yes. If you listen to our first podcast about our favorite locations that we've investigated in Colorado, we did touch on 
the Lafayette Vampire Grave, and Todor Glava, an Austrian, well, a Transylvanian immigrant who lived here in the late 1800s, early 1900s, unfortunately does not fit in to a small Western American town. And at that time, there was a major influenza outbreak that was sweeping through the nation. And because he was different, living in the small town of Lafayette, at the time people were dying, people thought he was a vampire. And we'll get into more into detail about why people think certain people are vampires in a little bit in this podcast. But yeah, that's a common theme for hundreds of years, is that uh, vampires have been scapegoats for disease outbreaks. So he was thought to be a vampire because all this bad stuff was happening, and he was different. So legend has it that he was killed in the way that you kill a vampire and keep him from coming back, by being staked through the heart with a wooden stake. And he is buried in Lafayette Municipal Cemetery. We've been there, we've seen his grave. Um, there's a tree growing out from the middle of the gravesite, and legend has it that that tree grew from the stake that was driven through his heart. None of this can be verified. When we did our investigations there, not much happened. We right. did catch our very first ever EVP that we caught as a team, a breathy voice saying Austria, which was really interesting because that is very compelling, seeing as to how he's Transylvanian, and Austria's from that part of the world. But um, some of the other legends from Colorado about the vampire grave people will see a dark figure in a long overcoat it's been said some people have claimed to have gotten evp saying take the stake who killed me and just weird feelings weird temperature changes around that part of the grave some people have even claimed to have seen footprints that have that circled the grave in snow but no footprints leading up to it or leading away they just kind of appeared walking around the grave again there's no photos of that online There are a couple EVPs from the cemetery that sound like they could be saying something referencing vampires, but there's no real objective evidence that this person actually was a vampire. Right. It's interesting that when we were there, um, there was evidence of some ritualistic uh, things going on. There were a bunch of dried beans around the grave, for example. But that could just be from people going there doing rituals are trying to get something to happen right that was definitely not from Todor Glava he did not come back from the grave to drop beans around his gravesite. that would be uh that would be interesting I, I could think of better things to do if I was to come back from the grave oh yeah no <laughs> doubt with vampires being so prevalent you would think that most people would be able to identify a vampire by sight that'd be pretty easy long black coat pointy teeth wanting to drink blood bucking in a very weird accent but that's not the case. It's like some vampires are said to be able to turn into bats or wolves. Maybe that's why we keep being chased by bats. That could be. We have a vampire haunting us. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I would not doubt it. And then the wolves at Leyden. If you've listened to our podcast, our first episode, we've talked about how we think there's hellhounds at Leyden or some form of spectral dog. Maybe it's a bunch of vampires hanging around that area. You never know. There's just uh, there's too much stuff out there. Too much stuff. And some people even claim that vampires don't cast shadows. So unlike in Twilight, where a vampire walks into the light and they sparkle, that probably just means that they accidentally fell into a pile of glitter. No doubt. Instead of sparkling, they would not be casting a shadow. 
So if you see somebody standing in the sunlight and there's no shadow cast from them, grab your wooden stake. You've got a vampire on your hands. And watch your mirrors, too, because we all know that you can't see a vampire in the mirror. So if you see somebody standing in the room with you and you look in the mirror and you don't see him in the mirror, go grab your stake again. I prefer mine uh, medium rare. <laughs> I, I prefer my vampires rare. True. Because they are rare. Although we've seen, we seem to have seen a lot of them, so... Oh, yeah. Are they? Bats. And wolves. Whenever you see a bat, grab your stake. Just carry your stake with you. For the love of God, please just carry your stake with you 24-7. Don't make the mistake of not carrying your stake with you. But the one universally accepted characteristic of vampires is the draining of vital bodily fluid. Typically blood. And finding a vampire is not always easy. According to one Romanian legend, get this, you'll need a seven-year-old boy, so specifically a seven-year-old boy, they can't be eight, they can't be six, it has to be a seven-year-old boy. Which is weird, because that means that they uh, can't play with Ouija boards. True, because you have to be eight or older to play with a Ouija board. Right. This whole age thing is just throwing me off. It's really throwing me off. So you'll need a seven-year-old boy and a white horse. The boy should be dressed in white, placed upon the horse, and the pair set loose in a graveyard at midday. Watch the horse wander around, and whichever grave is nearest the horse when it finally stops is a vampire's grave. How many cemeteries are going to let us bring a horse into the cemetery? I was just wondering, uh, do we know any people with kids that are around seven? No. A seven-year-old boy, specifically. Darn. We could do that in Lafayette. That would be hilarious if the horse stopped next to Todor Glava's grave. Testing an old... Glava's grave. That's a tongue twister. Testing an old Romanian legend. Or, you know, the horse just might have found something tasty to eat next to that particular grave. Like some beans. Like some beans. I'm sure a horse would enjoy some beans. But the interest and belief in revenants, the revenant vampire, surged in Middle Ages in Europe. And that is where we have most of our historical vampire-type figures and vampire-type stories where they come from. The popularity of The Revenant really spiked in 2016 when it won an Oscar. <laughs> and unfortunately had nothing to do with vampires. There were some bear attacks. It was close enough, I guess. And according to folklorist Paul Barber, in his book Vampires, Burial, and Death, Folklore and Reality, often potential revenants can be identified at birth usually by some abnormality, some defect as when a child is born with teeth. Similarly suspicious are children born with an extra nipple in Romania, for example, with a lack of cartilage in the nose, or a split lower lip in Russia. (laughs) That's oddly specific. Right. When a child is born with a red call or amniotic membrane covering its head, this was regarded throughout much of Europe as presumptive evidence that it is destined to return from the dead. So birth defects were looked upon back in the Middle Ages as being signs that the child was a vampire or going to return from the grave when they died as a vampire. Right. As I mentioned a little earlier, vampires being scapegoats for illness. There you have a relatively common medical occurrence, and it's being blamed on the supernatural, on a creature. And, well, we might laugh at that today because we know about germs and all these sicknesses and things that can happen to us back in those days they didn't know about germ theory they didn't know about how human anatomy worked or all these different type of defects they thought it was something supernatural 
So they looked for a supernatural explanation to explain it away. And from this article on LiveScience.com, which we will link in the description, the belief in vampires stems from superstition and mistaken assumptions about postmortem decay. Their first recorded accounts of vampires follow a consistent pattern. Some unexplained misfortune would befall a person, a family, or a town. Perhaps a drought dried up crops or an infectious disease struck. This links back to what we were talking about with Toto Glava living in the small town of Lafayette, Colorado at the time of the influenza outbreak. Before science could explain weather patterns and germ theory, any bad event for which there was not an obvious cause might be blamed on a vampire, or as we said, some other supernatural source, looking for a scapegoat because they couldn't explain what was going on, so they had to find a way to be able to explain what was happening. That darn demon crashed my car. <laughs> Vampires were one easy answer to the age-old question of why bad things happen to good people. So the most common stories and accounts of vampires, or people being vampires, stem from that person having lived in the wrong place at the wrong time, or been born with some sort of abnormality. Abnormality. I just made up a new word. Abnormality. And we see that with a lot of the things that happened um, not all that terribly long ago. But um, we look at the Salem witch trials, and that was basically started with people that uh, certain people, other people just didn't like, so they started making stories. And how to find out if somebody is a witch? I highly recommend watching the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Very comprehensive guide towards determining whether a suspected witch is in fact a witch or not. Going back to the article, villagers combined their belief that something had cursed them with their fear of the dead. Back in those days, many people were afraid of the dead, afraid of the dead coming back to life. And the villagers would then conclude that perhaps the recently deceased might be responsible having come back from the graves with evil intent. So either they blamed it on somebody who had a defect or who was different for being a vampire and causing the bad things to happen, or they believed that a dead person, a revenant, had come back from the grave to cause all this bad stuff to happen to a family, to a town, or to a region. So the graves were unearthed, and surprised villagers often mistook ordinary decomposition processes for supernatural phenomena. For example, the lay people might assume that a body would decompose immediately, but if the coffin is well sealed and buried in water, putrefaction might be delayed by weeks or months. Intestinal decomposition creates bloating, which can force blood up into the mouth, making it look like the dead body had just consumed a meal of blood. So you have all this weird stuff going on, all this bad things happening to their family or a town. They think it's somebody from the grave who recently died. They go check it out. They're not familiar with decomposition. It looks like this dead person, who looks still in pretty good shape because postmortem decay has been delayed, with blood at their mouth. So now they think that they have a vampire on their hands. Very interesting stuff. And so the villagers would take this as a sign that vampires are real and that the dead were coming out of the graves to harm the living or cause chaos to happen among the living. So how would you protect yourself from a vampire? What's some defense and protection? Besides pushing them out into the sun so they sparkle. Ah, that was my number one defense. Are you saying that doesn't work? <laughs> and get this, holy water and crosses don't repel all vampires. Oh According dear. to some legends, holy water or cross will kill a vampire as soon as they see it or touch it. But according to others, it's not going to do anything to a vampire. 
So that takes that off the board. As we talked about, a wooden stake through the heart was one of the most common practices right. for killing or preventing a vampire from coming back. And there have been actual cases, whereas Colorado may not actually be one, but there have been bodies that have been recovered from actually several hundred years ago with iron stakes in their hearts, or at least where their hearts would be. As well as wooden stakes. But right. according to this article, the best way to deal with vampires, of course, is to prevent them from coming back in the first place. Sounds simple enough. Be proactive rather than reactive. So like we were talking about, it was commonly believed that if you staked a person's body to the ground after they died through the chest cavity, because that's the main part of the body, they would not be able to come back from the grave to haunt people. So that's why you find graves, like people unearth graves in Europe, and even in the United States there have been a few instances where they find somebody staked through the chest in the heart region with an iron or wooden stake. And according to some other legends, the jinn and other type of magical creatures fear iron. And it's even considered that ghosts fear iron, and you can repel ghosts with iron or protect yourself from a ghost attack or a genie or a jinn attack if you have an iron stake or something iron with you. So a lot of people in medieval times too would use iron to be able to stake the vampire to their coffin or stake them to the ground. So that way they were stuck to the earth and they couldn't rise out from the grave to cause harm and chaos in the living world. And then other forms of protection also included decapitation. And once you decapitated the person, stuffing a brick or spike through their mouth. And there have been a couple graves that have been unearthed recently that have bricks and other items shoved in that deceased person's mouth, which leads archaeologists and anthropologists to believe that whoever that person was was considered to be a vampire by culture in that time. You know, I thought you that you were going to say that you were supposed to stuff the mouth of the detached head with garlic. Garlic was another one. Garlic, bricks, and uh, spikes were the three things that I found were used to keep the head from coming back and attaching to the body so that the person could come back and as a vampire or a revenant. Plus, that's the garlic's pretty good because the steaks and the, the bricks, those are those can be used. Garlic's very cheap and reusable. Yep. We have a cat attempting to <coughs> hijack a cheeseburger behind garlic us. Garlic is reusable? What? Garlic is reusable? <laughs> garlic is very cheap and easy to come by. And then here's a fun one for you. Another way to protect yourself from a vampire was to carry a bag of salt with you. And if you were being followed by a vampire, you take out a handful of salt and sprinkle it behind you as you walked. Because ancient legend stated that a vampire would have to stop and count each individual grain of salt before they could continue on. That sounds even more boring than standing in an abandoned or a haunted location calling out the alphabet a hundred times in a row trying to get a spirit to knock at certain letters to give you a message. Can you imagine having to count each individual grain of salt? That would be an assault on my patience. <laughs> the more you listen to our podcast, the more you're going to hear some bad jokes happen. So get oh, used yeah. to it. So that legend of carrying a bag of salt around with you to protect yourself from vampires also grew into using salt around doorways and windowsills to keep vampires from coming into the house too because they'd have to stop and count every single individual grain of salt which would then give the person 
who lived there enough time to realize that a vampire was coming in and get out. And the vampire couldn't turn to chase him because they were stuck counting all the salt. Right. That became, uh, the salt became a very well-known method of deterring really anything that you wanted to get rid of, including spirits. Uh, If you ask anyone how to get rid of a ghost nowadays, most people will tell you salt or sage. And again, as we discussed in the last podcast episode, you can thank pop culture and Hollywood for that, as now most people watch Supernatural. So everybody knows about the power of salt. So if you've ever watched Supernatural, you know that you need to carry a bunch of salt with you. So that way, if you have a ghost that's trying to kill you, or a demon, or a vampire in this case, you just make a nice big circle of salt around you. So if you're going to carry salt, do you have to count the grains first? Why would we have to count the grains? To make sure how many grains you have. I I guess that is a loophole. I wonder what would happen if a vampire counts the grains of salt and you just stand there and wait. And the vampire miscounts the grains. But what if you miscounted the grains and the vampire got it right? That's why you have to be good at math and counting in general. And have patience. So basically you just count it and you're like, okay, there's 743 grains of salt here. And the vampire comes up with 741 and you're right. Does the vampire just burst into flames? That's a good question. I haven't seen any research on that. (laughs) Time to test it. Um, do we have a vampire around? We need we need a seven-year-old boy and a white horse. And we need to go find us a vampire so we can test this theory. Yes. So that doesn't seem very practical, carrying a bag of salt around then. Because if the vampire counts it... No, but you don't stand around to watch the vampire count it to see how many he gets to. Because it's supposed to be a deterrent because they have to count it. And they have to count each individual grain, so that gives you time to get away. That that does make sense. So that I makes, prefer, it makes I prefer sense that, outwitting that way. vampires at counting, though. But what if the vampire gets it right? Then then you're dead. You just throw more, and you mix. You throw it along with the salt you've already thrown. So then he has to count even more. Then it gets mixed in. That's that's a smart move. You're really confusing that vampire at that point. You are. But then are you going to stand around to see if the vampire can figure it out, or are you going to just go about your business? Because that's going to take a long time. Depends on how curious of a person you are, I guess. I guess in today's day and age, we just set up like a video camera and watch. There's a the next viral Facebook video Facebook Live, you. of course. <laughs> we'll have to interview a vampire and find out how he goes about counting individual grains of salt. But if they have magical abilities, couldn't they just use their magical abilities to figure it out? Oh, dear. There we go. Magical vampires. We're creating our own mythical creatures right now. Vampire corn. What? Vampacorn. Just spitballing names here. <laughs> I was so confused. <laughs> What's vampire corn got to do with anything? <laughs> and then as we stated before too, vampires cannot enter a home without first being invited or being formally invited. Just like black-eyed children cannot enter a home or enter a house without being formally invited as well. Yeah, formerly, come on in, wait, Mr. Dracula. Let me rephrase that. Just like we said, black-eyed children can't enter a home without first being formally invited as well. But come the, on in, you creepy little child. So, if you have salt along the door, then even if you do invite the vampire in now, does that cancel out the fact that he has to count the salt? Oh, god. But then, 
If, if a vampire can't enter your home without being formally invited in the first place, why put salt along your home, along oh, your goodness. windows? These are lots of questions that we have to tackle. So many holes in vampire theory. And not just the ones through their chest. We need a vampire theory crew. I think, I think we know what our next paranormal adventure is going to be, vampire theory crew. VTC. Yes. That, VTAC. That, that sounds close to Vlad Tepes, too, VTC. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay, we're copywriting that. Nobody else take that. Nobody. We already had somebody take Ghost Theory Crew. I'll talk to him shortly. Our good friends at Ghost Theory Crew, shout out to you guys. We'll get you on here soon. Talk about some of your history, some of your 7900 house. That's going to be a fun episode. There are real vampires. And there's a real condition where some people do get addicted to drinking blood. Oh, yeah. Which isn't very healthy because blood is super rich in iron. And the body cannot easily get rid of excess amounts of iron. So Wait a minute. Okay. So, iron is a deterrent to vampires, right? Here's another hole in and vampire theory. is very strong in iron. Unless you have a deficiency, but even still. So maybe they drink it in small amounts to get immune to iron? They're... Uh, I'm not even, people, I'm not even going to try to understand vampire theory any longer. I'm, I'm done. Very interesting. All these, all these interesting questions that have arisen from us talking about vampires. So back in the day when people didn't understand decomposition and body chemistry and all well, that Well, so far stuff, vampire theory is decomposing on us as we speak. Yes. All these yes. holes. So they didn't understand it then, and they thought that iron was scaring these vampires and keeping them on Earth, so they were spiking them with iron spikes, when in reality, apparently vampires need iron. So you're just making a stronger vampire by sticking an iron stake in their heart. Good job. Or you're just making them even more angry, and that's why things would keep happening and get worse after you supposedly staked a vampire with an iron stake. They're creating vampires from normal dead people. Good job, people of Middle Ages times. You were creating more vampires and creating more problems for yourself by doing what you did with iron stakes. Maybe it's too soon, but y'all deserve the Dark Ages. Oh boy, that, that topic got interesting. Vampires. That hurts your head the more and more you talk about it. Who would have thought that vampires could be so interesting to talk about? That there's so much more to them than just sparkly shiny creatures that fight with werewolves all the time or who just drink blood and who knew that on one hand people would stake vampires in the grave through the chest with iron spikes because iron is supposed to deter them but vampires drink blood on the other hand which is rich in iron content we're gonna have to do a lot more research into this and rewrite the whole history of vampires so watch out if you're if you're a vampire, you're about to learn a bunch of stuff that you didn't even know about yourself. Exactly. Vampires, the new history, coming soon. Sponsored by Full Spectrum Paranormal Podcast. That's all the time we have for today, folks. We want to thank you for tuning in. As always, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, share this on your Facebook page, share this with your friends and family. We have a lot more content that we're going to be talking about from Everything from demons to hauntings to aliens to more myths and legends. 
we have a lot that you're not going to want to miss. We cover the full spectrum of paranormal topics, hence the name Full Spectrum Paranormal Podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, just remember to check out our previous episodes if you just now started listening to us, and definitely check out our Facebook, and leave us a rating if you could. That way more people will find out about this podcast and can enjoy it as well. And if you have any questions about today's episode, if you have any comments about it, if you know something about vampires, about black-eyed children, if you have stories of your own about either black-eyed children or vampires, please get in touch with us, shoot us a message, or just leave us a comment. We look forward to reading those. We look forward to getting in touch with you about those. We're here to learn as well. We're here to teach you guys. We're here to present topics to you, but we also want to know what you guys know, because we don't know everything, and if you know something, please share it with us. We look forward to it. Absolutely. All right, everybody. It's been a good talk. Thanks for hanging out, and this is Full Spectrum Paranormal Podcast, out.